This week's episode of the Getting to Know podcast is brought to you by Nina Connection Groups. Connections are employee resource groups created for employees by employees. Interested in creating a group or joining our women's or young professional ERG? Contact communications at nina.com for more information. Hey, everybody, it's Mike Rickheim. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Getting to Know podcast. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Ms. Valerie Henderson, who sits like right outside of my office, but just down the hall. Yeah, just down the hall. But I still personally, and I'm sure the listening audience would agree, I'm very much looking forward to getting to know you today, Valerie. So thanks for taking taking time with us. Thank you. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about your role and what you do. What do we call you here at Nina? And um, what does that involve? Sure. So I am a product manager on our industrial solutions team. I report up to Vishal Rao. Um, As to what a product manager does, um, it's a little bit of everything. The specific categories that I have responsibility for are are, uh, primarily abrasives, medical packaging, and pre-mask. Those are really my three largest categories, but I also have a few odds and ends like wall covering and, and furniture. So um, kind of oversee the the pricing, profitability, new product development, um, anything that touches those categories, it kind of kind of comes to me to manage. Do you consider yourself a marketer? Do you consider yourself a general manager slash leader? Like how, how would you classify yourself? That's a great question. And and I think technically our roles are considered marketing, but you know, outside of Nina, marketing a lot of times is viewed as advertising or social media or PR. And, and while we do a lot of those things, we also do a lot of the other P's of marketing. So a lot of pricing, a lot of product development. You know, it's not just what a lot of people think of marketing as, you know, pretty pictures and cool advertisements. We, we manage the entire portfolio of the product. Very consistent uh, with your colleagues that we've talked to here on the Getting to Know podcast. Uh, I think the term glue of the operation comes up in what seems like a, not an arrogant kind of thing whatsoever. It's uh, just a self-confidence. It's a beautiful self-confidence. There's a lot of you in these product management roles that, that, that you know, feel like you're doing a little bit of everything to make make things go. A little bit of a ringleader. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did you grow up wanting to be a pseudo marketer that does a little bit of everything, including ringlead? Um, not so much. No, I think ideally if you had asked, you know, seven-year-old Val, I'd probably either be a ballerina or a veterinarian. So product marketing manager is, is quite a big detour, I guess, from where I saw myself as a child. I haven't seen you in a tutu, although we are you know, under semi-COVID restrictions here at the office. So you're probably not, you know, here as much. I haven't seen the full wardrobe. But yeah, it seems like a bit of a departure. Yeah, yeah. So how um, how did you go from seven-year-old, maybe ballerina, maybe vet Val to product manager Val just a few years later? Yeah, so um, I guess in college, my major was psychology because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So figured... Why not, you know, major in psychology? I actually did a lot of research in undergrad. I worked for a professor. And so I kind of felt like maybe going into research would be a good career path for me. 
And so after college, I moved to Washington, D.C. I worked in public opinion research, market research, those people that call you and ask you who you're voting for. Uh, That's what I did for about four years. Enjoyed it, but it's kind of it's very niche kind of career path. And I decided I wanted to branch out. So I went to business school. I moved to Atlanta, went to Emory and got my MBA. And then after graduation, I moved into marketing and and product management. Gotcha. So Emory Business School moved to Atlanta. So where were you living before and where did you do your undergrad? Yeah. So my undergrad was at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Go Deeks. After graduation, I lived in Washington, D.C., like in the city, in Northeast D.C., um, for about four years. I I loved Washington. It's a really cool city. But I was living there during September 11th. And, um, you know, that kind of event makes you question if you really want to be in Washington, D.C. And so I decided moving further south, back closer to my family, back closer to some of my friends from college. So Atlanta seemed like a good place to head. It was, it still is a really growing city, uh, lots of opportunity here. And so I have now been in Atlanta for, it's, it'll be 20 years next year. All right. That's about the same amount of time I've been here. It's changed a lot, but um, almost a native of Atlanta after that period of time, right? Yep. Yep. I, I figure I qualify as an Atlantan as much as anyone else. My wife worked at uh, Wake Forest the Bowman Gray Medical Center. So I spent a little oh, time yeah. there. Also a great area. Is that where your family is or is that where you grew up? No, I actually grew up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Uh, it's in East Tennessee near Knoxville. And my, my family still lives there, still go up there pretty frequently. It's a beautiful area. I love it. You talked about the, you know, the, the happenings, 9-11 and kind of the mood in D.C. Like what what was it like being being there. I mean, I've, I've heard a ton of the New York stories. Um, I haven't really heard as much from the DC perspective. Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget that a plane hit the Pentagon. So, you know, DC was, um, was a big target as well. And then I think people also forget that there was the poison letters that got sent out shortly after 9-11 as well. So it was a really just a lot of uncertainty, a lot of not knowing what was going to happen, um, a lot of questions about was there going to be another one. You know, I remember walking to work that morning, being on the subway, the metro, and not knowing if I was going to be able to get home. I lived about four, four blocks from the Capitol building. I lived in Capitol Hill. And on my way home that evening, all the streets were closed, all the you know police cars everywhere. You couldn't, all the subways were shut down. So it was really just a very confusing and, and difficult time for the next couple of weeks after September 11th. Yeah, I'm sure. So that led you to Atlanta, to Emory. How, how long after that did you make the move? It was about a year, I guess. I moved in um, 2002 to Atlanta. So how long have you been with Nina or some version of what is now Nina? So I joined at the end of 2017. So uh, myself and Irene and Vishal all kind of came on board right around the same time, that September of 2017. So I'm coming right up on four years. I actually started at Nina in the publishing team. I was uh, in the sales organization calling on a lot of our customers here in the Southeast, as well as some of our uh, religious publishers who do business in, in Asia. 
So got to travel quite a bit overseas to call in some of those customers. And then two years ago, I moved into the marketing organization handling product management for Abrasives. So when you're not serving as the glue ringleader on everything that is Abrasives, MedPak, Pre-Mask, and other assortments, what do you do for fun? I would tell you, pre-COVID, I used to love to travel um, big fan. My husband and I both love getting out and seeing the world. Don't do that quite as much anymore, unfortunately. So during COVID times, a little bit more of a lot of reading. Actually, when I worked on the publishing team, got to have a lot of exposure to the major U.S.-based publishers. And so got to get a lot of free books that way. So love to read. Um, also a runner, not a long, long, long distance runner, more of a middle distance runner, I guess, 5Ks, 10Ks. I have run a half marathon before, but I think that's a one and done. I probably won't be doing that again anytime soon. It's a long way. It, it is quite the distance. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. So what's the, what's the perfect day look like from a personal standpoint then? Perfect day would probably start with sleeping in. I am, I'm not a morning person. I'm, I'm a night owl. So I would probably sleep in, wake up at my leisure, maybe hop up, go, maybe go to breakfast or brunch with my husband, have a nice, nice big breakfast, have some coffee. Hopefully it would be sunny outside. We, uh, we belong to a neighborhood pool. So would probably love to spend the day Lounging by the pool, maybe reading a book, maybe having a glass of wine or a margarita, and then maybe just wrapping it up with a nice dinner and hopping back in bed early. So, but you're a night owl. I am, but I'm also an old lady who loves to sleep. Oh, all right, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so you're you're looking your perfect day. You're not burning it at either end. I not like at that. either end. I like that. Hey, look, that that makes sense. Our team here has uh, we have a lot of early birds on the team, so I I am not joining them here in the office super early. I I start my day at eight a.m. <laughs> Does that have anything to do with um, having part of the business? six hours ahead of you or is that just how you've always been wired that's just how i've always kind of been a person who who's you know would prefer to adjust my day to be a little bit later yeah it's interesting i i in my first job at a college of consequence worked for a west coast company and i i've always kind of stayed on a like you're not going to catch me on random days like crazy early but I'm typically I typically are on the side of later so it's interesting how how those things can or don't or do influence you yeah when I I worked at Kimberly Clark previously and I supported a team of salespeople on the west coast and you know it was very very quiet from about 8 to 10 a.m um and so I realized I'm not doing anything when I'm here super early in the morning. And then everybody was calling me at, you know, 5, 6, 7 p.m. So you kind of have to adjust to to the team that you're working with. So the seven-year-old Val wanted to be a ballerina or a vet. Who was most influential in building out that dream or, you know, whatever it is that you ended up wanting to become? Yeah, so um, I probably have to say my my mom has been a huge influence on me. Um, she, I'm an only child, and my mom and I are really close. And she is she's an accountant. 
I guess I probably let her down by not going into accounting. Um, she's very mathematically oriented. But um, my mom went back and got her MBA you know, like in the 70s when that was kind of unusual for women at the time. And so, you know, I always grew up in a house with, uh, you know, mom that had a good education. My dad has a PhD. My dad's a scientist. And so, like, you know, mom and dad were both big into higher education and, and career aspirations. And, and so I think having those as role models, you know, going to college and, and having a professional career was always something that had been modeled for me as a kid. That's cool. That's cool. So mom and dad as big role models, them aside, who would you say your hero would have been as a kid? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, like, Outside of close friends and family, I was always like a Wonder Woman, you know, Barbie kind of gal who was always, you know, Barbie as an astronaut, Barbie as a doctor, wanted to be Wonder Woman, used to run around as a kid dressed as Wonder Woman in the summer, like pretending to fly my invisible plane and, you know, fly through the air. <laughs> That makes sense. I mean, again, the way the way that the product management role gets described to me, uh, there's a lot of Wonder Woman or man or whomever type of qualities associated. So it, it feels like there's some superhuman uh, capabilities needed on on certain days. Perhaps you are living that out uh, after <laughs> all, right? So, what's the absolute best part of your job every day? You know, I I know it sounds corny, but I really do like the team that we have. Um, we all get along really well. I think our, our work style, our personalities, we all, you know, we, we get along really well. We enjoy each other's company. We, we spend, you know, these are people you spend a lot of time with. And so it's great to come to work every day and kind of know that I am going to enjoy the company of the people that I'm around. That is cool. That's a great quality. Um, is there anything that you would look back on now with the experience that you have and, and, and go back and, and give the 22, 25-year-old Val a little bit of, a, uh, of, of career counsel that, that, that might have changed your, your path? You know, I think I'm I'm really happy with my path. I know that no one ever knows. You kind of have a vague clue of where you want to head, but you know, I think some of the advice I would give younger Val would just be to to kind of go with it and you know take the opportunities that are in front of you, but don't you know don't be disappointed if things don't play out necessarily the way you you think they're going to. But there is there are good things ahead of you and exciting and fun things ahead of you. I think I'd also go back and as with a lot of women, career women, I would probably go back and tell a younger Val to speak up for herself a little more or be, have more self-confidence or, you know, take take a little bit more charge of your career instead of being a passenger, be more of the driver. Gotcha. You feel like you're doing that now? You're finding that balance? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's just age or Nina's environment or if it's, you know, a little combination of both, but I think Nina's been a great place to really um, have a lot of responsibility and have the opportunity to to take control of your career, take control of your, you know, we're, we're product managers who are expected to take control of our category and to make decisions and to be confident about what we do. And and so I would probably tell a younger Val to to try and exercise that muscle a little bit more. I like it. 
two-part question for you. What, All right. what grabbed your attention about the opportunity at Nina and how different was it going back to what you were just describing? How different has the experience been compared to what you were expecting? Great question. So I had um, previously in a past past life, I actually worked for Kimberly Clark. So Nina's got a lot of overlapping connections there. And so I, I knew a few people at Nina when I interviewed. And so I kind of felt like I had a good sense of what the company was like and what to expect and who some of the people were. Um, and so that's what grabbed me is I, I knew there were good people here, right? And people whose ideas and impressions and experiences I trusted. And so that was part of the reason that Nina was attractive to me. Um, and then I guess second part was how has it been different or what was the second half? How close has it been to what you expected? That's a great question. And I, I think I would say that it, it has been very similar to what I expected. Um, if anything, I think there's almost been more opportunity. You know, when I stepped into the role, it was it was in the sales organization in publishing. And here I am now, totally different business, totally different level of responsibility. And so it's been kind of cool to know that Nina is a place where there are a lot of different things you can do, a lot of different opportunities, things to try in your career, and that the company's willing to you know, let people um, expand their career in that way. So along these same lines, if there was one thing that you could change, change, you know, wave the proverbial magic wand, one thing about the experience here, what, what would your, what would your change be? What would you drive? Yeah. So, you know, this is probably, I'm, I'm sort of sneaking around the question here, but if I could wave a magic wand, I would, you know, we're dealing with a lot of things like supply chain disruptions and capacity limitations. And I would love to wave a magic wand and have trucks with raw materials show up where we need them and when we need them. Um, I realize that's kind of outside the scope of what Nina can control, but if I could wave a magic wand, that is what I would definitely ask for. No, we've, we've had a couple conversations along those lines here recently on the getting to know podcast. Um, and you know, we might even want to put some, some, some incredible talent on those trucks too. Cause you know, labor, labor continues to be a challenge for us near and dear to my heart for sure. Um, so you talked about the perfect day personally, let's play a little like borderline rapid fire perfection game. So the perfect day at work, assuming we have all the materials we need and all the labor we need, the machines are running great. So now what's the perfect day look like? Oh gosh, hopefully not too many telephone calls. There's always, nobody likes to be in in meetings and calls all day. So hopefully there would be a nice mix of maybe meetings versus actually having heads down work time. Um, I mean, in a perfect world, if we're talking a perfect world, um, you know, we would be able to take price increases with customers without any pushback. That would be great. Um, Would love to hear that our profitability was up and, you know, that we were, you know, our costs were down and that our our prices were up. That would be great. Would love to, that would be an ideal world. Um, you know, would love to hear from Munising and Brookmule where most of my products are made that there were 
it was a safe day. There were no injuries, that everything was running smoothly and quickly and profitably. Um, you know, I think would love to uh, would love to just have a good day where got felt productive, got a lot done, um, you know, was able to get through all the emails, no emergencies, no, no fires to put out, um, able to do some of that strategic thinking instead of just the reactive day to day. That would be a great work day. And I, I guess it was implied that you wouldn't wake up too early and you'd be in bed at a decent time, right? In the office by eight, no, no early morning meetings. Right. <laughs> uh, what part of town in the uh, greater Atlanta area do you live in? I actually live in Atlanta. I live in Buckhead. So I, for all 20 of my years here, I have lived in the city. All right. So one of the cool kids. So what is the perfect night out for a borderline native Buckhead Oh, that, that's a fun question. You know, I will say sometimes I give Atlanta a hard time for not being a, a grown-up city, but um, Atlanta really does outkick its coverage when it comes to restaurants and, and nightlife, I think. The, this town has so many great places to eat, um, any kind of cuisine you want. But um, one of my favorites in town is Echo. Um, there's one in Midtown, but they just built one in Buckhead, which is like within walking distance of my house. And so, yeah. um, I'm actually going there for dinner Thursday night. So that would be a ideal night out. I think they have a lot of, I'm a big like wine and cheese and charcuterie fan and they really do that well. So, uh, I would highly recommend that. That would be an ideal night out for me. So perfect night out also happening this coming Thursday for you. Um, and no disrespect to whoever you're going with, but let's, Let's make this night even more perfect. Dead or alive, you can choose three additional attendees. Who you got there, Val? Oh my gosh, that's uh, I'm I might have to pass on this one. That's too too big of a scope. I'm I'm gonna have a hard time thinking about that one. <laughs> we could just go with in the event that your uh, Thursday night attendees are listening. We could just name them, right? Perfect night. So I'm good with that. Um. Yeah, no, well, actually, my husband will be there, and, and then a, another couple will be joining us, some, some friends from, from a long time back. So. Okay. So I hope they're great, you know, so as, you, they, so as not to waste people. this gift I just gave you to be able to wave <laughs> that, that other magic wand. All right. Perfect vacation. Where and with whom? Oh, gosh. I, I guess I'm very fortunate in that I have been able to travel all over the world, um, lots of awesome places. Um, my husband and I tend to like to not go back to the same place more than once because I just our philosophy is there are too many awesome places in the world to to go new. So why go back to an old place? But I will say one of my favorite places that I've been is Greece, the, the Greek Isles, and um, would really love to go back there with my husband, just do the sailboat kind of thing, maybe around Santorini, Mykonos. Gotcha. That's cool. Sounds great. I've never been. I've heard very good things. Um, it's beautiful. Is it a reach to assume that you're not terribly sentimental just based on like there's no reason to go back or you feel like you did it right the first time? I, I would say that's a that's probably a good way to describe it. We did it did it right the first time. My husband and I typically have we have similar interests. We're you know like to we, we tend to attack new cities and places we go kind of 
we, we do the death march where we try to see everything, um, go visit all the wineries, go to all the restaurants, go to all the museums. So we, we sometimes do a little overboard. So have to balance it out with the relax and, you know, take a break, sit on the beach every now and then. All right. So a rapid fire husband section here. So who is he? Where is he from? How long have you been married? And what was your wedding song? Oh, okay. So my husband's name is Berlin Henderson. He is from North Carolina, uh, Smithfield. Uh, we did not know each other in college, even though we both were sort of in that area at the same time. Um, he works for Warner Media. He is in technology. And um, what was our wedding song? I actually, in a change of, I guess, the usual situation, I let my husband pick out our wedding song. And um, off the top of my head, it is completely escaping me, but um, it was a song that he picked out. So you allowed him to choose it, but you didn't fully embrace it, evidently. But I can understand, look, it's it's a great effort. I like, it's a great gesture. I like that. Was it like Metallica or something? It crazy? wasn't Metallica. No, it was a very, it was a very romantic song. I think it's called the book of love or something like that. It was sort of an indie band that he liked. Um, but it was a nice, slow, romantic song, but it was, it was one that he chose. Gotcha. That's cool. That's very, like, like I said, very nice gesture. Um, during COVID pre COVID, you guys do much in the way of binging shows or are you not into tv or yes yeah. yeah so since my husband works for warner media we oh, we course. have yeah. access to all the stuff hbo max and and all the channels we actually during covid they were letting their employees stream some of the stuff that wasn't going into theaters so we got to see a lot of that um but yeah i'm a huge tv person we've got most of the streaming services so uh yeah have spent a lot of time during covid catching up and binge watching. Okay. The greatest three series in the history of man and womankind. Oh my, that is, oh gosh, present and past. I I will have to say Game of Thrones. I I was a huge Game of Thrones fan. Gosh, I'm trying to think of other ones that I have been like a long time fan of. Gosh, I, I, going to have to punt on this one. I, I can't think of any other, like two other ones other than Game of Thrones. That one was most certainly the best. You mentioned that you're a reader. Did you, did you read the Game of Thrones? I did actually. I, so I started originally with watching them and then I had enough people say, you know, you should really read them. And, and at first I was like, oh, they're 800, 600, 800 pages long. And so then I decided to give it a go, started reading them. And uh, as you probably know, if you've read them, you start reading them and then you're 400 pages in and you're like, wow, this book is amazing. So, um, yeah, yeah, they're really good books, even though they're long. I encourage anybody to read them. They're like pretty fascinating. I'm not proud of this, but for those who listen to the Getting to Know podcast on the reg, um, I'm not exactly a voracious reader. There weren't enough pictures in, uh, in in the Game of Thrones series for me to get into it, but I do have friends who told me that you know they were they were great. And as a matter of fact, the reason I was asking is I've heard um, those that have done both they they actually enjoyed the books more. Yeah, they the the shows are pretty loyal. At least the first few seasons are pretty loyal to the book. I mean, as loyal as you can be to a book that's got eight hundred pages. 
Um, but you know, there's a lot of characters and a lot of backstory. So it's, it's great to add some flavor. If you liked the show, you should definitely consider reading the book. Yeah. I've heard that same thing. Um, what about music? Is that a part of your life besides an indie band, book of love? Um... Yeah, I, so I, I mean, I'm a pretty big music fan. My husband is really into, he's one of those guys that's constantly on Spotify, listening to new music and new bands. He'll put together playlists and all sorts of like cool new bands that no one's ever heard of. And um, so I guess I get a lot of exposure that way through him to, to cool new music, what, what, whatever the kids are listening to these days. Um, and I guess before COVID, we would try to go out and see shows every now and then when folks would come through. But um, unfortunately, I haven't been able to do that quite as much now that... Is that one of those because you're in Buckhead, you'll only go to Chastain because you won't like <laughs> leave or go outside the perimeter except to go to the office? No, no, I, I am not one of those people. I, I am a little bit of an ITP snob, but I definitely will venture forth wherever I need to go. I think the last show we went to actually was down at... Uh, down at the old underground where they there's a couple of venues that are open there some small bands that we like we're playing down there so i'll, I'll go yeah. wherever i need to go to see who you know see the band i want to see we had a write-in question that i i thought was uh, a really cool one and I've, I've been negligent in asking it consistently but if we were to gently wrestle away your phone to find out the most recent tune being played on your phone what would we find val Oh gosh, I don't know. Um, there's there's a band that we that I really like that my husband introduced me to called Great Good Fine Okay. They are sort of synth pop, very like sparkly, fun sort of synthesizer, '80s retro music. So you probably yeah. see some of that. Um, it's a good like pick me up, good fun pick me up music. Gotcha. Um, what was the first concert you ever went to? Good question. And I think Kelly and I were having this conversation the other day. So my first concert I ever went to, being a good Baptist girl from uh, East Tennessee, my first concert was Amy Grant. All right. Um, yeah. So it's probably like an early '90s, late '80s, early '90s. Yeah, late late yeah. '80s. Went to see Amy Grant when she played in Knoxville. Very cool. Best concert you ever saw. Oh gosh, best concert. Um, been to a lot of good ones at Chastain. Um, a lot of those retro acts. I'm a big like Hollow Notes fan, kind of. You know, they they come through every year, so those are those are pretty good shows. I've seen, been trying to make the rounds of some of the classic acts before they uh, aren't able to tour anymore. I saw the Stones when they came to Atlanta. What was that? Four or five years ago. Um, so kind of trying to, trying to catch all the big name acts. Actually, we saw Prince, the last Prince show when he came through and played at the Fox theater. Really? Wow. That was his last show, right? Yeah, it was literally his last show. It was, uh, two weeks later he died. So I was like shocked and really glad that we had bought tickets to that show because there was not another chance. You just prompted something about like, I don't know why this question has never made its way onto the getting to know podcast because it's kind of my lead question sitting in a local watering hole. But let me ask you this. If you look at the universe of people you've never met, whose death impacted you the most? That is a great question. And 
So I'm, I'm going to, I'm hopefully I'm not shortcutting one of your future questions here. And this is a little bit of a cheat because I have technically met this person, but I um, was really affected by Alex Trebek's death. Um, you know, he passed away here just a couple of months ago, I guess like six months ago. Um, and so that really affected me because I was a contestant on Jeopardy. So that was kind of, you know, I kind of took that one to heart and, um, you know, it was kind of sad to know that this sort of icon of game show hosting was gone. That's, that's a, that's a pretty powerful one. We're going to have to put a pin in this Jeopardy thing real quick for me to say, yeah, that's what, what prompted that is, um, my answers, even though like I'm more sports than I am music, but the three primary ones for me are Prince, Tom Petty, and uh, Eddie Van Halen more recently. Because um, they're kind of like the soundtrack of my childhood. So the fact that you saw Prince here, oh yeah, that was it's one of my regrets. Is you know it, he was he was here and and yeah, Tom wrong. Petty's one of mine. That was when Tom Petty died. That was when I was like, I never saw him, and so that's when I was like, I gotta I gotta make sure I see the people that I want to see before I can't see them anymore. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, you were on Jeopardy. You just kind of threw that out there like I was going to fly on by there. Um, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with our guest checking here, but, you know, Whitney's obviously finding some trends and trying to trying to sl- uh, slide by because Carl Asher, I think we just found out, was on The Price is Right. Uh, oh, wow. Not, not, you know, in the too, too distant past. So talk to me about the Jeopardy experience. Yeah. So when I lived in Washington, D.C., they used to do a lot of contestant searches there. And so this was way I was I was on the show in two year 2000, I guess they um, they taped in 99, I think. And then it aired in 2000 or maybe it was taped in 2000, aired 2001. Anyway, it was a long time ago. It was about 20 years ago. And uh, I just I think I actually like sent in a postcard. This is back in the day when uh, you still had to like send in a postcard to be a contestant and got a phone call saying like, come and try out at some hotel and went and, you know, filled out a little piece of paper. And then later they come back and they, you know, the, could the following people please stay? And they called my name. And then about six months later, they called and said, hey, can you come out to LA? We'd like you to be a contestant. So flew out a couple weeks later and taped the show. I was only on one. I, I lost, unfortunately. Did you come in last? I came in second place. Okay, I took, yeah. So you didn't lose. You were silver I medalist. didn't lose. I didn't lose. I, I was tied going into the final. Did you make a silly bet? Or you missed I didn't. I, I kind of, I'm, I'm a very, cons- I'm not a big, like, gambler. I'm a very conservative wagerer. So I, uh, I, Gambled enough that if I missed the question, I would still come in second, which I did. I missed this, missed the question, came in second place. Um, but I did win a very nice trip to Cabo San Lucas. Um, so that was a, a nice little consolation prize. That's great. That's great. So are they like all expense paid trips? I don't know what Carl Asher did. I feel like he wasn't, you know, going brainiac on the, the, the uh, what was it? Not Wheel of Fortune. It was The Price is Right. Price is um, Right. Was that all expense paid? It's not, they, um, they don't pay for your airfare, but they will give you a discount hotel. And then my understanding is if you do need to come back as a repeat guest, they will pay to get you back out there. 
did you like the people that you competed against? Were they? Yeah, actually, there it's it's a cool group of folks. When you're kind of waiting backstage to um, to to go on, they draw names randomly, so you never necessarily know who you're gonna play against. But you know, I think it's all it's it's a lot of smart people, a lot of you know funny, interesting people, and so got to kind of get to know some of them. And um, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was a cool experience. I, um, it was exciting. You know, I wish I would have won obviously, but it's, it's fun to be able to say that I got up there and and got a chance to play Jeopardy. Sure. Very cool. So we were able to track down this footage um, to the year 2000, 2001. Is that still like everyone's rocking the Jennifer Aniston haircut and stuff like that? Or is that, is that too late? Oh, no, it's, yeah, it's about that time frame. I think. Uh, strangely enough, my, my hair's pretty short now, but it was really short back then. So I, I look a lot younger and a lot shorter hair. But yeah, it, it's definitely dated. And I, I think if you were to go on YouTube, you may be able to find video evidence of that. Uh, I wasn't married then, so my last name is Williamson. But you, you could probably find a few episodes of that. Well, I, I appreciate you pointing us that way. The Getting to Know podcast is not known for its research capabilities, but uh, we'll cer- certainly will be interested in in uh, in tracking that down. So, um, well, cool. Really have enjoyed getting to know you, Val. At the end of every Getting to Know podcast, we hit our guests with three specific questions. I'm going to hit you with those same ones right now. So All right. The first one is, um, what can always be found, regardless of time of year, time of day, in your family's refrigerator? That would be cheese. We are a family that loves cheese. So there's always usually a couple different types of cheese in our refrigerator. There's usually some fancier cheese for me and my husband. And then uh, we we have a a 12-year-old stepson, and he's also a big fan, but he'll just snack on your basic, you know, craft cheddar cheese if given the opportunity. So we always have cheese in our refrigerator. That's a good call. So amongst those that know you well, what would you say you're most famous for? Well, I guess the first one would probably be the Jeopardy thing. I'm I'm the one who's everybody picks first on the trivia team. So that's one of them. But I think the other the other thing that people always laugh about is that I am known for um I've been an extra on several movies and TV shows that filmed here in Atlanta. So a lot of my friends know me as the the person that you randomly spot in a crowd scene in a movie or a TV show. <laughs> really? Any any big shows like of, of consequence that people might have seen? Yeah, I was on Stranger Things a couple of years ago. You can see me in the background. I'm a I'm a dead body in season two. You can kind of see me on the screen. And then I've I've done a few other ones. You you'd pro- I probably have to point myself out. You might not be able to tell it's me, but I worked on Black Panther. I worked on uh, Avengers: Infinity War. A um, couple of TV shows that they film here in Atlanta: Being Mary Jane. Uh, halt and catch fire. So yeah, if you're if you're ever watching some reruns, you might be able to see me in the background. All right. Um, how difficult is it to play the role of a dead body? 
it's actually a little bit harder than you would think just because you can't. I mean, are you like consciously not breathing? And <laughs> is it stressful? It is a little bit stressful because they'll, you know, they'll shout cameras rolling and you're like, okay, don't, don't scratch my nose. Don't, don't breathe too loud. Don't move. Don't, don't do anything. Yeah. And I assume you're not supposed to like hang your tongue out of your mouth, like, you know, cartoon like, right? Yeah, yeah. no, no, they, that's it. discouraged, but yeah. uh, it's, it is a little bit harder than you might think. No, I, I, I believe that. Great. So last question for you about what is it that you would say you're most looking forward to right this very moment? Right at this very moment, I am going to meet some friends after work for dinner. So I am looking forward to catching up with some folks that I haven't seen in a while. That's great. Probably not at Echo. And these people probably aren't as great as people you're going to see on Thursday. Probably not. Definitely not at Echo. No, we're, we're going to head over to Super Rica and Avalon, maybe have a few margaritas and, and chips. It's a great so. place. Well, cool. Well, Val, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, uh, serving as the Wonder Woman of all <laughs> things related to the industrial solutions business. So um, really appreciate the time you've taken with us. I'm, I've enjoyed getting to know you. I'm, I'm, I'm certain that the getting to know uh, podcast audience feels the same way. So thank you again. Thank you. It's been fun. To all of you in the listening audience, thanks for your time today. Hope you've enjoyed getting to know Val as I have, and we'll talk to you again in two more weeks.